I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Sometime back, I received in the name of our country the bodies of four Marines who had died while on active duty. I said then that there is a special sadness that accompanies the death of a serviceman, for we're never quite good enough to them. Not really, we can't be, because what they gave us is beyond our powers to repay. And so when a serviceman dies, it's a tear in the fabric, a break in the hole, and all we can do is remember. It is, in a way, an odd thing to honor those who died in defense of our country, in defense of us, in wars far away. The imagination plays a trick. We see these soldiers in our mind as old and wise. We see them as something like the founding fathers, grave and gray-haired. But most of them were boys when they died, and they gave up two lives, the one they were living and the one they would have lived. When they died, they gave up their chance to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers. They gave up their chance to be revered old men. They gave up everything for our country, for us. We owe them a debt we can never repay. All we can do is remember them and what they did and why they had to be brave for us. Welcome, everybody, to a Memorial Day special edition episode of First Class Fatherhood. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, today is Memorial Day. It is a day for us to remember all of those who died to secure our freedom here in the United States of America. I am grateful to live in a country that has produced so many brave warriors who have sacrificed everything so that we can continue to enjoy the benefits of living in the greatest country on the face of the earth. Their sacrifice has never been lost on me or my family. And today I am bringing you guys two interviews that I did with Gold Star Parents. First up, you're going to hear my interview with Larry Brown. His son, Adam Brown, died in action March 17, 2010, while serving with Navy SEAL Team 6 in Afghanistan. Adam Brown's story of overcoming improbable odds was captured beautifully by Eric Blem in the book Fearless. I recorded this interview with Larry Brown, who's a Vietnam veteran himself, back on Memorial Day of 2019. I was extremely honored and humbled to have the opportunity to speak with Larry here about his son Adam, who was a young dad himself when he was killed in action. It's an emotional conversation. Uh, immediately following that, you're going to hear my interview with Gold Star parents Karen and Billy Vaughn. Their son also served with SEAL Team 6. Aaron Vaughn, he was killed in action August 6, 2011, when a Chinook helicopter Extortion 17 was shot down in Afghanistan, killing all 38 people on board, including 23 Navy SEALs. I recorded this interview with Billy and Karen back in September of 2018, so very early on for the podcast here. It was an extreme honor to have them on the podcast as well. Aaron Vaughn was also a young father himself when he was killed in action. All right, so as today we remember all of those who lost their lives fighting for America's freedom, let's also keep in our prayers the family members who continue to grieve the loss of their sons, daughters, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. They will always remain in our hearts forever. All right, so let's go, dads. Here are my interviews with Gold Star Dad Larry Brown, followed by my interview with Gold Star parents Karen and Billy Vaughn. And to all of those out there listening to this podcast who have served in the military, I would just like to say thank you.
All right, Dad, you have heard my interview with Navy SEAL Jocko Willink right here on First Class Fatherhood. Now I have teamed up with Jocko, and you guys can benefit. Jocko Willink has got an elite lineup of energy drinks, apparel, supplements, protein shakes, and so much more available at OriginMaine.com. That's O-R-I-G-I-N-M-A-I-N-E.com. And you guys can save 10% off your order by using the promo code LACE10. Visit OriginMaine.com or hit the link in the show notes and check out Jocko's awesome lineup of Go Energy drinks, milk protein, and so much more. Crafted in America, built to work, made for life. If Jocko Willink is putting his name on it, you better believe it's a quality product. So go. Visit OriginMaine.com and use the promo code LACE10 and you're going to save 10% off your order. There's only one Jocko Willink, but there are multiple Jocko Willink products on OriginMaine.com. Visit OriginMaine.com or hit the link in today's show notes. Use the promo code LACE10. Save 10% off and go get some. Joining me now, a first class father, Larry Brown. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate you calling and uh, appreciate the opportunity. All right, let's start here. How many kids and grandkids do you have? <laughs> well, uh, Janice and I have three children. We have uh, uh, Adam, Amanda, and our oldest son, Sean. Adam and Amanda are twins, and each of our kids have two kids, so we have six grandchildren. Wow, that's incredible. And what's the, what's the major sports that all your grandkids are into? Uh, they're, they're all into, uh, of course, two of them are boys, and they're big into football, and all the girls are into cheerleading and volleyball. That, that's their thing. So we uh, actually... Our our oldest grandson, uh, he's uh, he's in college now, and we have two of our granddaughters just graduated high school uh, this last week, and so we've got half of them out of out of high school now, and they just they grow up in a hurry. Yeah, yeah, I'm finding that out myself. I have four children myself. My oldest just became a teenager here, so uh, we're bracing for impact. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it won't be long. It'll seem like yesterday, and they'll they'll be gone. And uh, it, it's uh, it's that's the way it should be, though. That's that's the order that things ought to go in. Yeah, well said. All right, Larry, please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Well, I'm uh, right now. I'm semi-retired. I started a. Uh, All Service Electric is an electrical contracting company. Uh, we Janice and I uh, started in 1983, and uh, we've been uh, involved in it ever since. And our my oldest son Sean has uh, kind of taken over, and he does most of the work now. And I just go in every now and then just to let him know I'm still around. Yeah, very cool. And I know, uh, you know, just from reading about it, uh, I know you guys bounced around uh, quite a bit. You moved a lot when the kids were younger. How did you and Janice, how did you guys kind of handle uh, discipline with the children growing up? What was your discipline style with them? Well, unfortunately, I was a very stern disciplinarian. I, uh, I, I look back at it now, and I made a lot of mistakes with my in my fatherhood or the, in the way I uh, discipline my kids, but uh, I was doing what I was raised in, and unfortunately, uh, it may not have been the best 
best uh, best way. But Janice and I, we kind of complement one another. She's uh, she's not near as strict as I am, and she can uh, she can calm me down at points, and which is which works good for us. Yeah, and I think too, uh, like, like my my parents passed away. Uh, you know, in, in my, I was in my early twenties. Uh, you know, before I, I became a father myself. And my father was born in 1930, and his discipline, the way he handled discipline with me, is way different than the way I handled discipline with my children. So I think uh, a lot of that has changed over the years with uh, most uh, of dad's discipline styles. Well, I think so. Uh, my the only what I would change is I. I disciplined a lot out of anger rather than trying to teach. And, uh, I, you know, I, I believe there is a, a uh, there's for uh, corporal punishment or, or spankings when a child is younger and whatever, but uh, it can be it can be taken to an extreme. And, and there were times when I did. Yeah, it- and one of the, you know, one of the things that really touches me a lot about uh, Adam's story is just the, the fact that he dealt with addiction. I'm a recovering um, alcoholic, and I've had my battles with drugs myself. So uh, that part of it really was uh, inspiring to me to read about that. What, what, and, and drugs and alcohol, they are they're, they're ruining countless lives every day here. They rob so many opportunities and dreams. Um, when, when, we, when did you guys first realize um, uh, that, that Adam had become involved? with drugs and what was your guys kind of response to that well it was after adam uh went off to college and uh the first year he's in college when he would come home we'd you know it would just see a little difference in him he uh not not anything major but uh by the end of the his first year in college it uh it was evident that there was something changed about him and uh it was we we realized uh after the first year in college that uh he had gotten into drugs he never did them while he was in high school but uh after he got into college and he made some new friends and uh he didn't pick his friends very uh very very good so he made some bad choices and uh he it didn't take long for Adam to be involved in drugs, Adam was the type of kid that if he's going to do something, he did it a hundred percent. I mean, he wanted he wanted to be real good at anything he did, and uh, evidently he was pretty good at doing that also. Uh, and it really it took a toll on him, uh, and it didn't take long. Yeah, it's one of the biggest fears I have that most parents have about, you know, the kids with high school and eventually sending them to college is, is that that whole scene with the drugs and alcohol is very frightening. And then, you know, then to see your your, your son from, from hanging out with some of the lowest people in society and then to going to work with the, the you know, the most elite group of men in the world, uh, that had to be an incredible uh, switch to see. What, what, when did Adam first make you aware or when did you know that he was interested in becoming a, a Navy SEAL? Actually, it was after, see, Adam, uh, when he went to, went to jail and he, he, uh, thence when he, uh, he came to know Jesus and he decided that he was going to live his life for Jesus and he went to a program called Teen Challenge, which is a, a, a faith-based, Christ-centered, uh, rehab center. 
And it was there that Adam uh, realized that uh, he he had to walk the very straight and the very narrow for for him to to do anything. And when he come home from Teen Challenge, it was kind of uh, comical. Now that I look back at it, he he told me that he was going to join the Navy and be a Navy SEAL, and I and I told him I said, Adam, there is absolutely no way that you're going to get in the Navy. I mean, look at your history. And uh, he said, well, I know that, but I think this is where God wants me to be. And uh, I said, well, you know, you if you go and lie to these recruiters, you're not just going to be in trouble. You're going to be in the brig. And he said, oh, no, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them the whole story. Uh, he said, God wouldn't honor it if I lied to them. And, but. That's just one of the things that God started working with him and opening doors that only he could have opened, and things started happening for Adam that were just amazing. Yeah, it's incredible, Larry. And what were some of the biggest changes that you noticed about Adam once he finally, you know, became a SEAL, got to try it with an official Navy SEAL? What were some of the biggest changes you noticed about him? You know, I I think one of the, the major things about Adam was that he was he he was always been very very competitive and he still was very competitive but he was more I I don't want to say just relaxed about it he didn't uh it was not something that uh that was completely driving him he he was just more self assured i think he he realized that he could accomplish what he wanted to he his uh he he was always a just i i i say he was a beat to fit and paint to match guy which means that if something wasn't working you just hadn't worked at it hard enough you hadn't beat it hard enough and if you would hit it hard enough it would eventually be in go into place and you put a little paint on it and make it match and go on. And that's just kind of the way he went about life. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And, uh, and it's, I mean, I've done so many interviews with Navy SEALs. I've read just about every book there is about uh, them out there that these guys come out with, and it's always been my favorite one, has been Fearless. Have you, have you read the book, uh, and what are your thoughts about it, and did you, did you uh, learn anything new from, uh, about Adam uh, from reading it? Well, I, I, of course, I have read the book. I, I read it uh, cover to cover one time. Uh, I've read parts of it since. One of the, uh, I guess, the the main thing that I didn't know was uh, the events that uh, that happened that night. Uh, you know, we met all the the seals that were with Adam that night that he was killed and. None of us, none of those guys ever told us anything about what they did that night. But uh, the heroism that those guys showed just trying to get Adam off that mountain was something that, uh, you know, it uh, <clears throat> it really, uh, it, it, it was uh, shocking to me. What all? How these guys? All they wanted to do was talk about what Adam did. They never once talked anything about what they did. 
and they're just an amazing group of guys. And yeah, it, it's just incredible, Larry. I, I, I'm so uh, uh, amazed that, that guys like this are even, uh, you know, exist here just because uh, I'm, I'm actually – I'm very glad that they're kind of out of the shadows, so to speak. I talk about this quite often, that I think that they're just having access to these guys' philosophies, their mindsets. I think it's beneficial to everybody in our society that we can follow these guys on Instagram and social media, and we get a chance to read up about who these people really are. I, I think, the, the, of course, they. Uh, what, what amazed me about these guys is the fact that they, every one of them, to a man, they're they're very very extremely competitive. They love to win, and if you're just one on one with them, they're they have no mercy. But when they get out and when they're going to do something as a team, the individual is gone. It's the team at that point. They work uh, whatever the team needs. That's what they're willing to do. Yeah, incredible and. And have have Adam's children have, have his uh, have his kids read the book or do they um, or, or have they refrained from doing so or do you not know? Well, they have uh, they were exposed to the book not long after it came out. Uh, of course, they were uh, shocked, I think, to know Adam's past because they never they never experienced him, you know, being into drugs or and never knew it. And it was quite a shock to them. Uh, and that was one of our big concerns even before the book come out is how do we tell these kids that looked up to their dad and uh, have so much respect for their dad, uh, what's it going to do to them to find out that, that he had that checkered past? And uh, But they seem to have uh, accepted it well. Uh, Adam's oldest son, or his only son, Nathan, is uh, he's he's very quiet. He's uh, pretty introverted. He he don't he don't talk about many things. But uh, it, even in high school, he's in college now. But in high school, he uh, he kind of shied away from from Adam's image. He, you know, he didn't. He wanted to be Nathan. He he told me on several occasions, uh, I, "I'm I'm not my dad. I'm Nathan," and he he struggled with that. Uh, I think some, but uh, I think he's uh, and I think he's doing real good now with it. But uh, so he had uh, and Savannah, his daughter, <coughs> uh, she has a lot of Adams. Uh, characteristics. I think she is. She's one of those that, uh, if you get in her way, uh, she's going to make sure she gets you out of her way. She's just very, very. Uh, she's more like Adam probably than Nathan as far as her personality. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, it, you know it, what was really crazy to me too, but reading the book after the eye injury that Adam had and his hand getting crushed and all this. Were you and Janice kind of like at that point like hoping or maybe thinking that he might be leaving the, the Navy, but instead he went further up the ladder and into a, a dev brew or, or what they call field team six? What, what was your response to him uh, going up the ladder that way? How familiar were you guys with the whole uh, dev brew, uh, uh, you know, cell or team, whatever mm -hmm. you may call it? 
Well, Adam, Adam and I talked uh, a lot. Of course, he was in Virginia and I was in Arkansas. But we would call and spend hours on the phone just talking about what he was doing. He would never tell me where he had been or what he was doing, but just the things that he was going through. And after his first, when he hurt his eye, uh, I was uh, I was of the opinion that probably it was time for him to get out of the Navy. I didn't realize that he could even uh, requalify just at and the uh, in team four that he was in at the time, but uh, after he requalified, you know, he he said, "Dad, I, I'm just uh, I know this is what God wants me to be doing, and so I'm just going to stay here till I don't know." And he he requalified with that, and then when he was asked to to uh, try out for SEAL Team Six or Deb Group. He, uh, of course, then he had his eye injury, and then he lost three fingers on his one hand. Uh, they reattached them, but he never did get uh, full use of them. But And all this was on his dominant side, and he spent many, I, I, there's probably unknown how many hours that he spent on the range and just different shooting uh, circumstances just to re-qualify with his non-dominant eye and his non-dominant hand, which is uh, really quite an accomplishment. And that's another one of those things where uh, I I think it was just God did it for him. But he, he did a lot of work. It took a lot of time and a lot of effort. Yeah, that's. I mean, just that's what's so inspiring about it. Like, just it almost seems like it's fiction to to, to hear all the things that he has he overcame uh, just to, uh, like you said, to, to shoot with his non dominant hand and, and using you know his non dominant eye. It's just it's just unbelievable. And I, and I think you know, obviously, I think the whole story would make a phenomenal movie. And I've heard somewhere along the line that there are. Uh, a, a movie, there is a movie in the works. Is there any truth to that? And uh, are you involved in anything like the, in the movie? And would you like to see it? Well, we uh, we're not involved in the movie. There, uh, uh, MGM. They at this point they have the rights to the movie through uh, Eric Blim, you know, who wrote the book. Uh, and no, we have abs- We don't have anything to do with the movie. Uh, they've told us that they want us to approve it, you know, that they would like for us to approve it. And um, the ones, the screenplay that we seen last, it was uh, it was very acceptable to us. And so, but I, I really don't know what is right now, other than uh, they're they're searching for. Uh, someone to play Adam, and I think that's where it is right now. Okay, very cool. And what, what, Larry, what was the transition like for you going from being a father then to uh, being a grandfather, and what was Adam like as a father? <laughs> well, Adam uh, Adam was, uh, I, for as me, I, I was a lot more calm with the grandkids. I, I, that was part of that. I wished I'd learned with my kids some of the things that I got to do with the grandkids. But 
I I think a lot of that too is because the you know the discipline was not my that wasn't my responsibility and so I could just relax with them enjoy them and just have fun with them and uh but as far as Adam he was uh he was uh, he was a disciplinarian and he wanted his kids to to and they were just like him they were very very polite they were very uh cognizant of other people's feelings and uh but Adam he was a he wanted to be a hands-on dad uh he told me the, the last just before he went on this last deployment that uh he felt like God was leading him to get out of the navy but uh, he didn't know what what he was supposed to do when he got out of the navy and that was one of the last conversations we had about that because Adam he really wanted to be a full-time dad he had got the opportunity to coach Nathan in uh, one football season, and he just loved it. And uh, he was really, really wanting to be a full-time dad. And uh, but uh, he was—that was, that was uh, one of his desires before he was getting out of the Navy. Yeah, and Larry, how is the? Are you still um, close with the SEAL community? Are those guys uh, still very uh, much a part of your life, or have you guys kind of like uh, gone your separate way from them? Well, no, because uh, on August the sixth of two thousand and eleven, when uh, Extortion Seventeen went down, that helicopter that was crashed in Afghanistan, of the uh, thirteen men that. Were, or the 17 men that were with Adam on the night he was killed, 13 of them were on that helicopter. And those were the ones that we had gotten close to. Those were the ones that, that spent so much time with uh, with our family. And so after they were killed, we uh, we still have a couple of friends that are in the teams, but we're not, uh, we, we don't have much to do you know, we still uh, communicate with the the uh, SEAL, the Navy SEAL Foundation, some. But uh, other than that, we don't have a whole lot of contact. Uh, okay, and, and you know, like I said I'm, I'm putting this out here on Memorial Day. So, what, what what does Memorial Day look like for you and your family? What are some of the? Uh, do you have any type of uh, traditions that you usually do on Memorial Day, or does it just kind of change every year? Well, it kind of changes every year. It's uh, used to, uh, we, for several years, uh, we accepted invitations to go somewhere and maybe to speak to a group of people of some sort. And uh, we don't do that anymore. We, Janice and I, have, uh, we've kind of reserved that, that day, and we don't, we don't do anything that day we normally go out to the to the cemetery and where adam's buried uh and uh there's we have a uh i also have an uncle that was killed in korea and uh so we go and i have several high school buddies that were killed in vietnam and uh 
so we we normally just make a day of remembrance of those people and uh try to keep it on a uh just a, a personal basis just Janice and I and our family together yeah, and, and I, I definitely, uh, I, I'm very uh, respectful, and I love all of our, our armed forces. I do my best to have as many uh, veterans as I can on the podcast. I know you're a veteran yourself, and your father was a World War II veteran, and uh, you, your family has uh, really offered so much to, to to this country as far as defending our freedoms, and I don't take them for granted, and um, I really appreciate all the sacrifices that you and your family has made, sure. Well, um, thank, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, all right, last thing I'll hit you with here, Larry, I, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast here, what type of advice could you give to a new dad or to an about-to-be father who's out there listening? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I would tell them that expect a lot of your child, but not to the point that that you're – that he feels disappointed that he didn't complete or that make sure that your child understands that if he's doing his best, you're going to love him and you're going to be very proud of him. Yeah, and, very well said, Larry. Very well said. I, I love the advice. I know that this is a difficult uh, conversation, a difficult time, too, for you. I really appreciate you uh, giving me a few minutes of your time here. I'm on First Class Fatherhood. Thank you, and I appreciate it, Alex, very much. Thank you for calling, and thank you for the opportunity. All right, Dad, you have heard my interview with Navy SEAL Jocko Willink right here on First Class Fatherhood. Now I have teamed up with Jocko, and you guys can benefit. Jocko Willink has got an elite lineup of energy drinks, apparel, supplements, protein shakes, and so much more available at OriginMain.com. That's O-R-I-G-I-N-M-A-I-N-E.com. And you guys can save 10% off your order by using the promo code LACE10. Visit OriginMain.com or hit the link in the show notes and check out Jocko's awesome lineup of Go Energy drinks, milk, protein, and so much more. Crafted in America, built to work, made for life. If Jocko Willink is putting his name on it, you better believe it's a quality product. So go. Visit OriginMain.com and use the promo code LACE10 and you're going to save 10% off your order. There's only one Jocko Willink, but there are multiple Jocko Willink products on OriginMain.com. Visit OriginMain.com or hit the link in today's show notes. Use the promo code LACE10. Save 10% off and go get some. Joining me now, uh, first class parents, gold star parents, Billy and Karen Vaughn. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Hi, it's really nice to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for having us today. All right, let's start off here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? We have, uh, we have three kids, uh, Aaron, our uh, oldest son, uh, and then Tara, who is 35, and Anna, our youngest daughter, who is 25. So we have we have son and two daughters. Okay. Uh, and six kind of... grandkids, by the way. Yeah. Oh, boy, wow. Congratulations on that. Uh, i got four kids myself, so I'm hoping to have that many uh, grandkids at some point down the line. Uh, um, all right, what, what kind of sports or activities are the kids, were they involved in growing up? Well, Aaron was a really – great football player um and tara played basketball now are she was really good at basketball our youngest anna was not 
a sports enthusiast at all. And she was she was the kid who we kept trying to put her in different sports, and she would literally stand on the field or the course with her arms crossed, you know. So we finally gave up and let her be her, you know. But uh, but Aaron and Tara both played a lot of sports growing up: softball, baseball, you know, basketball, and football. Okay, uh, Billy, were you involved in coaching at all, or more from the sideline? Actually, Karen was involved in coaching. I, I, uh, yeah, Karen uh, actually coached Tara a little bit in basketball, but uh, mine was uh, mostly from the sideline. Okay, very good. All right, um, I've had the honor of speaking with so many Navy SEALs now because of this podcast, and some of them have come from very troubled beginnings. And everything I've been able to read about Aaron, uh, you know, points to him growing up in a loving environment. So I'm very curious as to what age or what signs did he show that he would have what it takes to become a part of the most fiercest fighting force on the planet? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, what we have what we have found out from meeting a lot of Navy SEALs is, uh, you know, these guys are not always the biggest, baddest, the meanest, guys out there usually before they're those guys they are men they are boys who love this country who love adventure who love to hunt who love sport who, they're they're just what we found is they're all american boys and that's who aaron was growing up aaron uh, became a believer in christ uh at a very young age uh he saw good and evil black and white there's no not many gray areas for aaron he loved this country. He loved the history of our country. He loved freedom, and and uh, you know he was just uh, he was all boy. He was all boy, and uh, so that's that's where he ended up. It became a dream of his at a, at a young age to be a Navy SEAL. He he uh, one day he and I we lived in Tennessee, and he and I were working on the farm out on a Saturday afternoon, working on a fence, and had the truck radio on, and uh, something I don't remember what it was, but something came on about Army Rangers were involved in an operation somewhere, and. It named him, and Aaron said, you know, I think I want to be an Army Ranger when I grow up. He's about seven or eight years old. And uh, I said, well, you know, son, there's one group that's uh, actually uh, probably a little above the Army Rangers. And I told him about Navy SEALs, and uh, and so uh, later on in life, he said that's the day. That's the day that he decided that's what he wanted to be, and, and he stuck to that. Wow. All right. Uh, well, becoming a Navy SEAL, that's one of the most honorable jobs uh, that exist, and becoming a member of SEAL Team 6 is even more astonishing uh, than that. But it's also one of the most dangerous positions in the military. So how did you guys feel as parents when Aaron made the jump from uh, the, the regular teams up to DevGrew? Well, for me, yeah, for me it was uh, – I felt like he was – you know, it's, it's crazy to say this now, but I felt like he was going to be safer than ever. Uh, you know, I knew that he would be going on – uh, you know, more specific missions, but I also knew that 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 team operated a little differently, and, and I really won't say much about that just for their operational security, but I, but I felt like they had a little more control over what they did and didn't do, and I felt like, uh, you know, that now he was going to be working alongside as if those men he worked alongside weren't already elite enough. He was going to be working alongside the most elite warfighters the world had ever known, and so I felt like he would be safer than ever on a personal basis. Um, I never dreamed that that would be the team he would die with. It, it never crossed my mind, in all honesty. Can I just say something about that? Absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, I felt he was, when he was with the Navy SEAL, when he was with SEAL Team 1, I mean, you know, Navy SEALs are the best. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it is the most dangerous work, but there again, they get the best equipment, they got the best training, they, they got the best weapons. 
And I believe that, uh, you know, uh, political correctness had not crept in uh, to that part of our military. I, I was just naive. Uh, and uh, I, I believe that, uh, like Karen, uh, you know, they got, they got, you know, they got to do their ops. They, they, there's no politics involved. Uh, but uh, we learned that uh, all of that changed, and uh, uh, the military leadership in in, uh, in naval special warfare, much of it, especially in Dev Group, is uh, just as political as people like John Brennan and what you see on TV today. And it's sad to find out, but uh, some of them are a sick lot. Yeah, and I, it's it's amazing that it's gotten all the way up like into the military. Even on the, on the younger level, the, the whole philosophy where every kid gets a trophy and and that that whole thing has kind of crept down to this level where it wasn't when I'm only thirty eight, going to be thirty eight years old, and that wasn't the case when I was a kid. And that all has changed now. And most parents that that I talk with, they're they're against that philosophy of starting the kids at, at that age of just everyone gets an award just for showing up. Well, you, you know what, you you're right. Uh, it's, it's even changed a lot since Aaron joined. Uh, since from the time Aaron joined, uh, and by the time Aaron got killed, uh, a lot of the things that we heard that were changing different, even that they were making it, making it easier, making it, even making the, uh, getting into the Navy SEALs more diversified, making sure we have not just the guys who want to come and, and join, who, the guys who really want to do what it takes, but, but actually going out and recruiting uh, and, and you know, and, and I'm not against anybody wanting to be a Navy SEAL, but going out and recruiting and enticing people, offering them things to come in. I'll tell you what, when Aaron joined, they didn't offer you anything. Uh, you know, they did everything they could to kick you out. But you know, uh, uh, you you had to prove that you really wanted it. But as you said, that's more of that uh, leveling the playing field, and everybody gets a trophy creeping into everything in our society. You know. Yeah, very, very unfortunate. All right, I'm going to give both of you a chance to speak on this. What could you guys tell me about Aaron as a father, and how was how was he as a dad, and how did becoming a, uh, a dad affect his feelings or his approach to being a SEAL operator? Well, you know, Aaron's children were only uh, two and two years old and nine weeks old when he died. So, you know, in most of that time, he was, you know, deployed actually through a lot of their life. So. He didn't have time to settle in a lot to fatherhood. Uh, of course, he, he was crazy about his children. Watching him become a father was one of the greatest joys of our life, you know, watching him get to celebrate. And, and that's one thing that I've always been so thankful to God about is that he got to know that kind of love, to see his children be born and to, uh, to enjoy, uh, you know, bringing children into the world and, and, uh, I remember thinking when, you know, when his little boy was born, I remember thinking this is going to change everything. And, and, and then especially when, the, when Chamberlain, his daughter came along, uh, you know, he was about to go on deployment when she was born. And so I knew that deployment was going to happen. There was no question about that. But I remember thinking to myself, I bet this is going to change things because men are just extra protective of daughters. It, it changes you when you start raising a little girl. Um, at least that had been my experience watching my husband with his daughters and, and watching my father, you know. And and uh, I remember, you know, wondering if it would cause him to want to, you know, leave that career a little earlier. But, of course, he never got a chance to settle into that and make those decisions because he died. So uh, he... He did love being a dad, though, and like I said, I'm thankful to God that he got to experience that. 
Uh, Billy, anything to add on that or? No, that's that's pretty much. That's pretty yeah, much and, and I'd love to hear you say that too, Karen. I mean, I I have four kids. I had three boys, and then I got the girl, and it's definitely a whole new bowl of soup. And um, <laughs> it's uh, I, I really am enjoying the experience of it, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the podcast is just because the, the, there's a, such a negative tone out there, especially on TV and in the movies about fatherhood and kids or, or young adults today. They have this negative outlook on it that it's going to be the end of the world and, it, and instead of the life-changing awesome experience that it really is it's kind of hidden yeah that's pretty tragic honestly uh no he was very excited about having his own children actually couldn't wait couldn't wait for that and and man once they came along he was uh, he was just ecstatic you know that that uh that he had a family and yeah no i that's really tragic that that the world does has begun seeing fatherhood like that that's heartbreaking all right well aaron's death and especially the circumstances in which he died uh you know has impacted you guys in a way i can't comprehend but I, but i'd like to ask how did his death impact or change the way that you parent your other children hmm. that's a good question uh, as for me I, I i i don't i don't really think it did um well, one one thing is that our children were, you know, our our youngest child was 18 when Aaron died, and our other daughter, you know, was already grown with a family of her own. Um, so, you know, we really weren't still raising children per se. Um, so, you know, we didn't have to, we didn't have that task. And I'm thankful. I, I feel it really pains me for people who still have the task of raising children after they've lost a child, because I can't imagine functioning in a home and. And trying to maintain that after such a such a horrendous loss that that would be such a difficult thing to do because it's just so hard functioning at all, much less maintaining uh the level of of i don't know just you know just organization and and happiness and functionality that it takes to be a productive family and to to make sure your children are stable and well taken care of. So I, I just applaud people who, who make it through that when they've still got young children at home. But ours were grown. What it what it has done is it's made us, uh, for me, and I can say Billy and I have had this conversation before, we have understood the sacredness of life in a way that few, I think, can ever understand it. You you value it differently. You experience it differently. You, you look at things in a different light, you make sure that you treasure things in a way that you might have taken things you might have taken for granted before. You do not take for granted any longer. You you make sure that uh, that you take time to stop and appreciate the value of what's in front of you. You definitely do that. Well, well said. All right, uh, both of you guys are best-selling authors. I want to give you guys each a chance to speak about your books. Karen, what, what could you tell me and the listeners about your book, World Changer: A Mother's Story? Yeah, so um, after Aaron died, you know, like I said, he left behind the two small children who would never have stories of their own about their father. And and I knew that the day would come where Reagan was, you know, sitting at a football game or something like that, wishing that his dad was there. Or a day would come where Chamberlain was going to walk down an aisle and would give anything if her father was going to be there to walk her down that aisle. And they would want to know things about their father that no one, frankly, could tell them except me and and uh Billy and so I just wanted to start collecting stories about him so I started writing him down frantically everything I could remember about his childhood his teenage years and and his personality just the things he thought was funny the things that he did that that were funny um 
you know, just everything I could recall. And, and it just eventually through a, through a long series of events turned into a book. And I decided to turn that book into a challenge to America to raise kids who are formidable, who are strong, who aren't weak. We're, you know, we're looking at a culture now of, like we talked about before, the everyone gets a trophy culture and, and, you know, I just, I just wanted to use this book to challenge parents to step up and raise families full of kids who just can take it when things go wrong. Aaron overcame so much to achieve his dreams and his dreams also set the course of his life. They kept him on track and I just wanted to encourage parents with this book to help their kids set goals and set plans and put things in motion so that kids have things that they actually wanted to reach for in life instead of just wandering through life aimlessly. So that was the goal of World Changer, and, and it's done very well and, and has been really well received. And I'm very proud of the product that, that eventually came out. Yeah, honestly, I think I think more new parents should get that book instead of what to expect when expecting. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, Billy, what could you tell us um, about Betrayed, the shocking true story of Extortion 17 as told by a Navy SEAL's father? Uh, yeah, so uh, I I never thought I'd be an author, obviously, but the things that we began to find out after Aaron was killed and after those other men were killed uh, uh, that night, and uh, that didn't add up, that didn't that did uh, things that did add up that were just wrong and crazy about the way we were operating in Afghanistan, what we were expecting our Navy SEALs to do, what we were expecting our military to do, and not be able, not allowing them to do. Uh, and then, uh, you know, in the, in the weeks and the months, we began to realize that there was a cover-up and people were lying. And, and uh, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, Karen and I spoke about it and talked about what was going on and everything. And, and uh, we decided to write the book to really get the word out. And, uh, and, and, it, and it did help. And it has helped. Uh, it has helped, uh, I believe, to help change the rules of engagement, especially since... Uh, we've got a, a president in the White House that, that loves his country and uh, respects our military. And so, um, uh, you know, it, it just it, it, it was the book was to serve two purposes. It was to let people know what happened that night to uh, Navy SEAL Team 6 and uh, all the men who were with them that night. It's also to, if possible, to help prevent it uh, from happening again to, to other warriors, you know. Uh, and to cause our military not to, our military leadership not to be negligent with the lives of the warriors that have been entrusted to them. Awesome. Very good. All right. Um, I want to see if I can get your opinion on this. Uh, just because it's a hot topic right now, uh, you know, the whole Colin Kaepernick ad came out yesterday with the sacrifice. So I'm curious, do you guys have any thoughts on the players that are taking a knee during our national anthem? Well, you know, the thing of it is, is, is like this, uh, you know, these, these guys, um, let's, let's look at the two groups of guys. Uh, the, these guys get, get to go, they get to live in a free country, they get to go to school, and because of their talent, not any other country in the world could they earn the kind of money they earn. They earn enough money where uh, when they're off-season, they can go vacation in South Beach or anywhere in the world they want to. They can drive any car they want to. They can live in any house they want to. And then it's an amazing thing that they're ashamed of the country that's been able to give them all this. And then the guys who defend us, on the other hand, 
can't do any of those things, and their desire is to defend this country and preserve a way of life. And uh, I can just tell you that I, I'm, I'm an older man now. I'm 61. But I'm really thankful to God that my boy, my boy, was a man who loved this country and served this country and ultimately, you know, ended up where he did instead of my boy being one of those boys who is ashamed of the United States of America and ashamed of the flag. The flag, you know, you know, our flag represents everything, whether, what, no matter what kind of flag it is. Flag for your organization, your Cub Scout troop, your HOA, or for the fall, or whatever. That's the flag of the United States of America. And it represents uh, better things for mankind than any than has ever been represented by any country in this world. And for those men to to be so ignorant of what has been given for that flag and what that flag has given to so many hundreds of millions. And yes, we're not perfect. We never will be. But we are still the greatest light to the world. And shame, shame on them. Yeah, well, very well said. I agree with you 100% there. Um, all right, let, let me ask you this. Uh, there's obviously so much interest now with the SEALs, with all the books and the movies. So, so many more kids are inspired to put themselves to the test and see if they have what it takes to become a frog man. Uh, what advice could you give to those parents that are listening whose kid is kind of bringing that up and wants to try out for the SEALs? I say let them try. If a kid's got it in their heart to protect and defend this nation, who are we if that generation doesn't continue to rise up and answer that call? And, you know, every, every generation, ours is the only national anthem that ends with a question mark, and it's been up to every generation to answer that question. And, and that, those, that question rises up in the hearts of young men and women Generation after generation, and someone's got to answer. And if you're, if not your kid, who's? And so, you know, America, America has a value unlike anything we can put a dollar sign on. And and you know, I I've never talked to a warfighter who has served this country who has said it wasn't worth it. And I can guarantee you that if Aaron were here today and had a chance to stand up to life again and fight for this nation again, I can guarantee you he'd do it again because he believed America was worth it. And so you have to let these young these young men and women who believe in this nation enough to fight for it, you have to let them fight for it. You know, I'm sitting here looking at a picture right now talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation. My disappointment is with Nike using the word sacrifice everything because I'm looking at a picture right now of my son's grave with a caption over it that says this is what it looks like to believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And that's what we have to remind people of. There, there are things worth sacrificing everything for. America is one of those. And there are people who sacrifice everything for something. And that's what men and women who fight for this country do. They sacrifice everything for it. Yeah, very very well said, and and this is one of the reasons too. I I've had so many different uh, military guys on this week, just leading up to 9/11. I work in a rail yard for the last 19 years, right across the river from the World Trade Center, and I was there when it happened, and uh, it really impacted me. And it's just uh, I'm so honored that I get a chance to talk to so many of these guys that actually did something and, and, and stood up for this country. And I it never goes past me and my family here. We are always very thankful, uh, you know, for for the men and women that are that are fighting for our freedom. So. Um, 
you know, uh, you know, I can't, I can't say thank you enough for what you guys have sacrificed. Thank you. Um, all right. It, it has has there ever been anybody that's approached you guys to make a movie about Aaron's life or maybe about Extortion Seventeen? And would you be would that be something you'd want to get involved with? Uh, you know, people have thrown that around, but I, we we don't know. I mean, it, it just it would have to be just the right thing, you know. So it's not something that we've ever taken real, 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 real seriously, you know. Okay. Uh, well, do you guys have any other projects that you are working on? You got any other books in the work or anything coming up? We have a nonprofit that we'd love to tell everybody about. Oh, please do. Yes. Yes, we have a nonprofit that our family started. Uh, not long after Aaron died, called Operation 300. And what we do is we host adventure camps for children whose fathers have died during this war. And we pair them up with father-aged male mentors and bring them in for a weekend of adventure and just let them do all the things they might have done with their dad or he's still here. And it's just been the most wonderful blessing. Uh, it's And we bring their mothers in as well and put them up in a super nice hotel down in West Palm Beach and let them spend a weekend relaxing with other widows and uh, have time together to just, uh, you know, spend time with someone else who's living out the same kind of nightmare, frankly, that they've had to live. And uh, Operation 300 has just been an extraordinary, an extraordinary adventure for our family and an extraordinary blessing for uh, untold, untold hundreds of, of uh, families across this nation. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I'll, I will make sure that I put a link, uh, you know, in the description of the podcast to, to, to exactly where they can find that. Um, all right, I usually always ask all well, the dads I have on the podcast, and I get a chance to ask you guys, maybe take a turn here. What, what, is the, what kind of advice could you give to the new parents or the about-to-be parents that are listening? I would say, um, I would say teach, them, teach them who we are as Americans. Teach them who, we're, who we've been, where we came from, why we believe what we believe, what our foundations, the foundations of our country are built on, Judeo-Christian principles and freedom. And no other country's ever been built on that. And uh, teach them to love this country. And don't, don't let them grow up being ignorant uh, about uh, who we are and what we stand for. And yes, even tell them the bad things. Tell them the bad things that have happened in, in our country. Because, you know, we, we are a nation that when we've done wrong, we've tried to correct those. Uh, we've tried to correct those wrongs. And we're still doing that today. And maybe they won't be, maybe they won't grow up uh, full of hatred and, and full of ignorance with uh, like uh, rich people, you know, who play football on Sundays who make millions and millions of dollars but ha- don't have a clue about what this country is really all about. Very well said. Yeah, I can't think of anybody that sacrificed more than Jesus Christ did for all of our sins. So, I mean, he'd be another good one to put up there. Um, Cameron, what kind of uh, advice uh, could you give to the new parents that are listening or the about-to-be parents? Well, that was great advice that, that Billy gave. Um, it's hard to top that, but I guess if I was just adding to that, I'd say let your children experience risk and adventure. I think that's what we're missing so much in this culture is we've moved so far away from a warrior culture. And I just say let your kids get out there and experience risk and adventure. Don't be terrified to let your children sprout their own wings and, and grow their own sense of, of of what am I trying to say, just just become their own people and, and realize what they're capable of. Some of the greatest lessons that Aaron ever learned that made him the person he was, he learned out on our farm with Billy stretching his limits and allowing him to do things that I thought 
he wasn't big enough to do, but he was big enough to do them. And he learned that he could do things. He was, you know, he learned that he could accomplish things. And we have to allow our children to learn what they're capable of. And so often we just do everything for them and we protect them from everything. And and then they just, they're just incapable of overcoming anything on their own because of that. And we just create these cocoons around them and, and we insulate them and it's not doing them any favors. Yeah, well said. I, I think the, the the technology that we have today, I think it's good for so many things, but it's just uh, it's. I think it's doing more harm than good, and it seems like it's taking away the social life of of, of most of the youth today. Well, you, you know, you see these stories all the time now, where people who just let their children walk their dogs are being having the police called on them because, I mean, this is just getting ludicrous. The, the children aren't even allowed to play anymore. I, we've got to move out of this or we're just going to we're going to absolutely cripple the next generation we're building the wicked society the world yeah yeah i agree and and as a young parent myself with four kids it's it's really hard to kind of navigate you know this whole social media video game uh, uh, path that's in front of us here so that's why i'm out here i'm talking to different dads we're trying to figure this all out because we don't agree with this philosophy like the everyday everybody should get a trophy uh the whole uh put a phone in front of your face or an ipad so um, trying to see what, if we can make a difference in some way, but uh, just uh, you know, bringing the message that that fatherhood is awesome and family values are are really where it's at. So that's fantastic, man. You stay in that fight because there is nothing, there's nothing more important than the family unit, and there's nothing that will take a society down faster than destroying the family unit. Yeah, and it seems like the family unit is really under attack here. So absolutely. Uh, all right, you guys have anything else you want to add? I mean, this has been awesome. Uh, this has been great for me. So you have anything else you want to throw in there? Not me. I'm good. No, I'm good. Thank you. Back to wrap things up here at First Class Fatherhood. I really hope you guys enjoyed those interviews. i got to be honest, those are my favorite interviews that I've ever had the opportunity to do here on First Class Fatherhood. I'm just humbled that I had the chance to speak uh, with Gold Star parents like Karen and Billy Vaughn and Larry Brown. And, and, and be honest, during these interviews, at certain points, I would stop and think to myself, like, who the hell am I to be speaking to these people who have sacrificed so much for our nation here? Uh, but I'm so humbled that I did have the opportunity to do it. If you've never read the book Fearless by Eric Blem about Adam Brown's story, you have got to go check it out. It's one of my favorite favorite books of all time, uh, being a recovering alcoholic and an addict myself. I'm really connected with Adam's story. Uh, so to all those out there who have served, I just want to say thank you. And to all those who have made the ultimate sacrifice and lost a loved one uh, who has died in action defending the freedoms of the United States of America, I am forever grateful. I always keep our veterans and their families in my hearts and on my mind. So uh, thank you to all those out there who continue to serve our country. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, back with regular scheduled programming here on Wednesday. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers.